Welcome to Lead Pods, the official leadership podcast from USMB for pastors and church leaders, where our goal is to increase our impact together. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 35 of the USMB Lead Pods. My name is Matt Ayersman, and I'll be your host once again for another really great episode. So one thing that's a part, a really important part of most, if not all churches, is their small group ministry. And especially if you attend or work at a larger church, um, it's really important for people to be able to find a smaller group where they can find community, uh, dig through scripture together, be honest about life struggles, and honestly just develop a really close group of friendships. And so small groups is a really great way to do all those things and possibly serve together and, you know, all kinds of really healthy things for the Christian life. And so today we're going to dive into small group ministry with a really good friend of mine that I'm really excited to introduce you to. Joe Skillen is new to the MB family. He recently joined the staff of Ridgepoint Church in Wichita, here where I work and where I live. He's a great guy. He's got great experience um, leading at several churches around the country, and we're really grateful to have him at our church, Uh, but I think you're really going to enjoy him as well. So he has a lot of really great tips about kind of the bigger picture about small groups, about what they should offer for churches and for individuals. And we get into the nitty-gritty details about you know sizes of groups and ages and all kinds of those things, all kinds of those things that maybe you thought about if you're in a small group or if you lead a small group ministry. And then just for fun, because Joe's a fun guy, and I feel like we were too serious for most of the conversation, we end it with some really hot takes on the NBA basketball. So if you're an NBA fan, hold on for Joe's take on the Los Angeles Lakers. <laughs> But no matter how you feel about the Lakers, it's a really great conversation. I think you're really going to enjoy hearing from Joe. So uh, we'll take a quick break to hear from a sponsor and get right to the nuts and bolts of leading an effective small group ministry. MB Foundation provides biblical financial stewardship solutions to the Mennonite Brethren community. Inspired by 1 Timothy 6, 17-19, we encourage and assist individuals, churches, and ministries to take hold of real life through generosity. We call that giving meaning to money. Our services include planned giving, loans, fund management, investment certificates, and stewardship education. With offices in Hillsboro, Kansas, and Fresno, California, we are ready to serve you. Learn more at www.mbfoundation.com or call us today at 1-800-551-1547. MB Foundation is pleased to partner with USMB to bring you this episode of Lead Pods. All right, my friends. Well, today I'm excited to talk to a good friend of mine. It's kind of comical. We're in the same building. We're like 10 feet from each other right now, but we're, we're, we're doing this over Zoom. I'm excited to introduce you to my friend, Joe Skillen. Uh, Joe and I have known each other for a long time. He's relatively new to the MB family. He's joined the Ridgepoint staff here in Wichita just a few months ago. We're super excited to have him. So Joe, thanks for spending some time today. I appreciate being on, man. I'm looking forward to it. It's awesome. So fun to have you. So you've got you know a pretty impressive resume. First of all, we should let the cat out of the bag that you and I, one of my favorite things that I like to share to, about people is we went to the same high school, college, and grad school. We both went to the same, we have the same pedigree. You went a little bit farther. You got your doctorate, but I feel like you and I are just, you know, we're a little bit of the same person, a little bit. I I'm, I find that to be like a, a huge compliment. And there's still plenty of time for you to find some degree up there at George Fox again, so that you could, so we could, I would, I, whenever you talk about, it, I talk about hitting the cycle, right? Like a baseball yeah. analogy, like you, you, you've got like your single double and your triple. It's, it's time to go ahead and get that home run and hit, okay. the, hit, the, hit the cycle. I'd be all in favor of that. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Well, if people don't know you. So yeah, you're at Ridgepoint now you're, you're, you've, 
been in Wichita for a long time, but give us a quick background of other places you've worked and any other bio stuff you want to share. Sure. I mean, I went to, uh, I went to college, Sterling College, like you, a small Christian college here, and then started working in some Wichita area churches, uh, particularly in like the general pastoral ministry, discipleship uh, vein of ministry. I've also had the chance to work in um, Atlanta, Georgia, at Peachtree Presbyterian Church there. And then I was a senior pastor uh, at Advent Presbyterian Church in Memphis, Tennessee area. And then uh, we've got family here in Wichita, and uh, we got a couple of kids, Ginger and I do. So it was advantageous for us to come back, and I'm excited to be on Ridge Point's team. And so here I do some teaching on Sunday morning about once a month. Pastor Brent uh, and I share the preaching load here, but then I've been given the task for discipleship, which is a big, broad topic. But uh, a big chunk of the discipleship piece is what we call life groups or what other churches call small groups, community groups, you know, insert your ministry name here. (laughs) And uh, I get to look over that stuff uh, here at Ridgepoint. But I'm glad to be on the team. uh, And I'm I'm excited about our days ahead. Yeah, very cool. Well, you've already done a great job. We're super excited to have you both at Ridgepoint and in the MB family for all of our MB friends listening around the country, around the world. Uh, Joe's a great guy. So, all right, Joe. So today our, our kind of main thing that we're going to talk about is kind of small groups, life groups, home teams, whatever you're the different churches call them. So, and Joe, I don't know the history as well as you do probably, but it seems like that whole idea of small groups is a relatively new thing. Like when, when I grew up going to church, my parents were in Sunday school and then sometime in the, in my lifetime, uh, things kind of shifted and groups kind of became the new kind of new thing that a lot of churches were doing. So what are small groups? What is the benefit? Give me, fill in any other kind of background stuff you want to fill in there. That's great. Yeah, I think you're right. Like it seems to be a relatively new invention of more or less like the Western church. And I think the United States has been uh, the breeding ground for this program of ministry, but really it's been around forever. The impulse for a small group of people to get together and to um, figure out the mystery of God in Christ and like, how do we do life together? It's been something from the very beginning. Uh, we know from Acts chapter two that the early church met in homes. Uh, they didn't have big church buildings. It seemed to be a key feature in the Methodist movement early on through the Wesleys. They had this small groups called bands where they would get together and study the scripture and ask discipleship questions. But it seems as if like small groups has really taken off recently, particularly since the the birth of like the mega church. I mean, uh, one of the things that mega churches have tried to do, um, and I think it's been a wise thing, is how do we get bigger and smaller at the same time? And because we want people to know each other and to be known and uh, to be cared for. And so all the big uh, the big shops out there, the big uh, mega churches, they've excelled in small group ministries. So you think of Willow Creek, you think of Saddleback and all these places. And so a lot of pastors started going to conferences in these churches because we're great commission people. We, we want to see people reach. And so these churches are reaching people. What are they doing? And so they come back to their churches and say, well, they have a small group ministry. Well, Sunday school has been a, a thing for quite a long time. And so For as long as I've been in ministry, which is 20 years, there's sometimes been an antagonism between Sunday schools versus small groups. And I would say that there's probably an overlap of what they they both do a lot of the similar things. People uh, read and study the Bible. uh, People have discussion about their faith. There seems to be some sort of an application of, hey, let's go try to do this now that we've studied it. 
uh, people have been cared for. I mean, I've, I've been in Sunday schools or I've seen Sunday schools. I've been a guest to them where they've been meeting together for like 70 years. They've got like the, the president of the Sunday school class, which is interesting. But like these people have like, they've studied the whole, like they've lived the whole panorama together. Like they were young couples into young families and they've raised kids and they've sent kids to college and they take care of aging parents together. And how wise is that, that people have decided I'm going to invest my life in these other people and we're going to help one another. And I think that that is probably the nucleus of what a small group does. It's that Paul says in Romans chapter one, he says, let's mutually encourage one another in the faith. And I think that that is the, the Christian impulse. It's a gospel impulse. And so I think we see that. And so sometimes it happens in Sunday schools. Sometimes it happens in small groups. Is there a difference? Maybe. I think sometimes Sunday schools can have this uh, lecture type of feel to it where like one person is teaching and presenting and everyone else is kind of like bobbing their heads and maybe taking a few notes. Whereas I think a small group, there's a there's a, a sense where I'm going to go and at some point I need to participate in the outworking of this thing. And so I think that's a little more native in the small group model than is in the Sunday school model. But that's but there's always exceptions to the rule. And so um, I think that antagonism probably should be avoided because at the end of the day, if people are known and cared for and they can grow in their faith. Um, I think that that is something that a church has to have in order for the movement of Jesus to, to flourish among them. And so I think a small group, why it's good is I think it's a greenhouse for Christian formation, because I think in a small group, uh, people's head and heart and hands are engaged. I think people learn from the scripture and they learn about our Christian story. I think people learn to care for one another. And I think also if a group is positioned right, uh, people can be on mission together. And so when those things are like working in tandem with one another, people grow in the faith. It's like a CrossFit gym uh, for the Christian life. And all of a sudden people are growing in their faith, but at least about particularly young and new Christians, when they get into a small group environment, if it's done well, and if there's a lot of intention behind it, I think it's uh, a vital piece of their the early uh, part of their faith. And um, I just think that that's why a church should consider if they don't have a, a small group ministry now, I think mm-hmm. that, that you gotta stop the press and they got to think about how, how can we start getting some small groups going in the midst of our ministry environment. So, yeah. And of course, every church is different. And I think you're, you're wise to talk about like size, like, if you're a small church, if you only if you have 20 people, it might be kind of harder to launch a really successful small group ministry. But if you're a huge church, you need that ability for people to connect and have a relationship. And, you know, again, depending on the church, but again, in my mind, Sunday school, like you said, Sunday school is kind of like learning, lecturing, going through studies when like my life group that I'm in, my favorite part is that we're just really good friends. And if we need something, there are go-to people, like they're kind of that support group that, um, we call them life groups here at Ridgepoint because it is that they just, we're just going through life together. We, we study the Bible too, but like, it's that core faith community, like the smaller core faith community that I think some churches are missing that I think is super crucial. Absolutely. Yeah. I think you hit on something that I think only small groups can do. So I appreciated something that a, a missional church outfit out of England called 3DM. This is what they talk about. They talk about how people, we tend to find ourselves into four different sizes of groups. And there's like an intimate space, very small amount of people. There's a family space, a little bit larger. Then there's like a trial, what they call tribal space. That tends to be the first thing that we say. And when someone says, Hey Matt, tell me about yourself. 
we tend to say, oh, I work here or I live in this area of the world or my kids go to this school and blah, blah, blah. So we tend to put ourselves in tribal space and then there's public space and which is the largest group that we find ourselves in. And so we act differently in those spaces. What small groups does, I think in my mind, I think this would be the critical thing about a small group ministry is this, is to help create that family space, that family environment, faith family environment in a church where people can be known and cared for. And that doesn't happen on Sunday mornings. It doesn't happen like in a small mentoring community either. It happens uh, where new people can be added if it's at the right time. And if it's it's got the, you know, the group has the right DNA. Um, It's where people can uh, be themselves uh, more readily. And so I think what does a small group ministry do? It creates faith families. And I think that if that being one of the major metaphors, the new Testament of the new Testament church, and that's why I think small groups are important because you're creating a family life together. Where you're, and I think a family is where you are counted on and you can count on others. So mm-hmm. if people if people sense that in the small group environment, I think it's a healthy small group environment. Yeah. So yeah, awesome. Yeah. You're prompting a lot of things I want to ask you about. Well, let's go a little bit bigger picture first. So sure. you've been around um, discipleship, small group ministries for a long time in several different churches. So what are, what are your, some of the things that you've seen that work really well? And what are the, some of the things that you've seen just kind of common mis- mistakes or just common um, hiccups that you've seen along the way for small groups? Yeah. And I think every church is different. And so I think uh, maybe some things that I've seen might actually go well in other environments for sure. But I find that in the groups that I've uh, really enjoyed and when I've left them, like there's like a hole in my heart because of it. I feel like those groups have like levity about them where there's not an, an earnestness all the time. Yeah. Obviously this is important work. This is meaningful work. I mean, the work of Jesus is the most important endeavor that you and I and others who call ourselves Christians can give ourselves to. But I think groups where there's levity, where there's like, I don't know, references to the office and to stuff that you're watching on TV and um, where your chatter either through text or whatever you use to uh, communicate with one another outside of community. Like if there's like, you know, there's levity about it, it, mm-hmm. it seems to be a good thing. Um, if there's a, a white elephant gift exchange, uh, like at a Christmas gathering with that group, like that's probably a solid thing. Like there, that seems to be solid fruit um, in a life group ministry. I think also, if there's an intention for having all people part- to participate, I think that's another sign of a healthy group environment. Um, it t- sometimes uh, when groups are not going well, it's because the same person who's teaching is also hosting and uh, they're studying the things that they want to study and maybe not what the group needs at that time. And discussion is really just a lecture and it's not really a discussion where there's a lot of silence uh, where there's not, there doesn't seem to be, the room's not popping with energy when it comes to uh, the discussion time. And I think that takes a lot of work. I think it takes more work than we imagine, but everyone is wired differently. Everyone is interesting and to draw them out and into the communal space and for them to participate, it takes a lot of work. And so we have to be able, so I think a good group leader is not just a person who we would think the person who can answer questions about the Bible and who knows the reference that someone's thinking of, but they can't quite land. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes the best life group leader is the one who is so um, their EQ is so high. Mm-hmm. Like they can read the room and say, okay, so-and-so is dying to participate. We just haven't really um, 
picked out what they're interested in yet. And um, this person had a birthday and I think we got to like mention that, or this person, their prayer request last week was kind of heavy and uh, we need to find a way to get an update there. Um, And there's someone who can, I don't know, they've got the sixth sense about them and they can read the room and try to help create that faith, faith family environment. I think more than anything else, like a, a healthy small group is where friendship happens. You've already mentioned it. But uh, where friendship happens, not just during the group, but also, you know, outside the group, but also even if the group ends and those friendships endure, that's a sign of a healthy small group. So I got a, maybe just a couple of stories. I remember early on in ministry, I was a young adult leader and it was, I was a young adult small group leader for singles and not they were, nobody was married. And I just remember I was stunned one day. We had a newer member of the group and she all like all of a sudden, like it, it obviously wasn't even the topic of the study, but she just said, Hey, I have something important I need to share. If I share it, would you please not kick me out of this group? And so everybody's kind of like holding their breath, right? And she just came from her previous church experience was like a kind of a, a purity culture, um, maybe uh maybe a judgmental environment. And she mentioned that she was pregnant, she wasn't married. And so I was holding my breath as a ministry leader in that moment going, okay, how is this group going to respond to this? And I was hoping that we respond with the grace, love that Jesus would ask of us. And I was blown away. Like I was blown away that number one, she felt it was safe enough for that thing to be shared. Mm -hmm. Then I was blown away that our group responded the way they did, not just at that moment, but they through the rest of her pregnancy after she had her child and we continued to surround uh, her and like all the different uh, things in her life. And so I thought that was a really an awesome moment, but she felt friendship and safety and love in that room. And yeah. I guess a second story about how the, the, the potential of this is at the time of this recording, uh, somebody from a small group that I was in, um, she's, she lives alone and she had an aging dog and she knew it was time for, I mean, the dog was dying and she knew it was time uh, to say goodbye to her dog, but she didn't have the strength or the energy to make accommodations, to go through with it herself. And so she called the first person she knew that would be willing to handle it. And that was my wife, Ginger and I. And so yesterday, uh, Ginger and I made accommodations and all that stuff and were able to sit with our friend, were able to take her dog to the vet and then go back. Ginger sat with her and ministered to her. And that's because vital, like foundational friendship stuff was created in the small group. And that small group ended years ago, mm-hmm. uh, but that friendship endured. And so if those things are happening, yeah. I think that that is uh, just some fruit that the small group ministry is doing what we've set out and intended it to do. Yeah. That's awesome. Those are great examples. And I think my first kind of question out of that is, man, people are just so messy, right? Like this is one of those things where I think um, it's easy to make it sound like it's going to be really easy for this to work really well. (laughs) But like, man, if you've got a group of eight, nine, however many people, for you to have that leader that you're talking about that has a high EQ, emotional quotient, like who's able to read the room, for everyone to be comfortable to speak up, for no one to hog the conversation, to find a time when everybody's free and find childcare and what study you're going to do and right now, like the nuts and bolts get in the way of those kind of magic moments that you're talking about. And I think so often a group of, you know, well-intentioned people who want to grow like that environment, it takes time and just a little bit of magic, I guess, just for that, that really deep friendships to be able to be formed there. So maybe if someone 
either is in the group where that that kind of chemistry is just not there yet, or they want to join a group but not sure how to get started. How can we kind of plant that soil so that those that kind of a relationship can happen? Yeah. Yeah, I th- I'd say just a couple of maybe uh, blue sky things, and then we can kind of get maybe down to some nitty gritty things. I think so. If um, if you're a ministry leader and this is going to be your thing to oversee in the church, I just think it's important to have some sort of margin to invest in the leaders who will run these groups because they will be confronted with uh, they've already got a busy life and they've got to host people probably at their home. Um, they don't have a theological degree, uh, so they don't know where to start with studies and stuff. So they're kind of launching it. Like these people are really doing the hard work of ministry. Yeah. And so I think it's important. It's something that I would like to try to do more that I've done in the past, like do more is try to pour into these leaders, because I think if you have a healthy leader, I think it takes care of a thousand different things that could go awry in a small group. And I just think it's because uh, lay leaders, paid leaders like ourselves, like we have an inner critic that says, I'm terrible at this job. I didn't do that right. Um, this person is not coming because they hate the way I lead. I mean, all the things that we say, particularly if you're, if you have a flair for the perfectionistic person, like, yeah. so sitting down that person and saying, Hey, tell me about the stuff that's going on in your group and being amazed at what they're doing, encouraging, reinforcing the good stuff. I just think that that person goes back a little more stirred up and fired up uh, to help their group, you know, help to figure that thing out. Um, and I think, I just think, so I think it's investing in leaders. And then I, I think it's measuring the right things. I think, uh, sometimes we don't measure the right things. I think, uh, particularly in small group ministry, of course, you want to measure how many groups you had this year compared to last year. But I think there's some other like kingdom driven measurements that we should probably, measure instead. So even if a group isn't growing numerically, even if they've had like, oh, some, you know, you know, spotty attendance patterns. um, If we could like go to our, and this is something you talk about with your leadership team to say, as we're looking at our church success as a whole, like, what do we want to measure? Uh, How do we know that we've moved, moved down the ball down the field? Um, I think that we go yearly or every other year to our group life and say, Hey, group leaders, just take, 10, 15 minutes, pray about it. And then how are you doing in these areas? Like, do you see these things happening on scale of one to five? And uh, I think that gathering that information, I think is important. And then we can go to them and say, Hey, just so you know, like, I feel like when you gave me your test results or your measurement results, and you said that um, you, you felt like people's openness, uh, to share has gone from like three to four in a year. Like how, like we got to celebrate that stuff. Like that stuff is uh, a sign that, that the gracious things are happening among them. And so I just think you got to invest in leaders. I think you have to be clear about what we're truly measuring and why it's important for the overall mission of our church, because we're measuring those things. And so yeah. I, I would just start those like, little, you know, kind of blue sky, like the big picture. I think we got, that would be, I think be helpful um, in those type of moments. So, but for like, Somebody who's looking for a small group, I think maybe you mentioned that as part of your question, and maybe they haven't found the fit. Um, it just takes it, it takes time, and I would say this: not everyone is comfortable to attend a meeting three or four straight times and feel like the new person each time. Because I think if somebody tries it once and they're like, "Man, I'm just not getting a good vibe from these people. I don't want to expose myself to that again." I guess what I would say to somebody who uh, is looking for a group, like, just so you know, like they've been meeting 
you know, for some time now, and you're like, they're going to be just as nervous as you are when you come to the group. Like there's equal nerves, equal anxiety, because they don't want to have a bad experience as well. And you don't want to have a bad experience. And so I would just say, go like three to four times, Mm -hmm. try not to get wrapped up in how it went. Um, Try to find a way to be counted on before those four visits are over. Yeah. And I have a feeling that you're going to have a good feeling from that group. And so um, that's what I would, that would be like, I guess, some practical advice for someone who's looking for a small group and hasn't really found the fit yet is yeah. to say, Hey, try to be counted on as quickly as possible. And I think you'll change your mind about the people in that group. And again, that's part of just the messy part of being human, right? Because again, like if these are the kind of groups you want them to be where they're deep and you're sharing deep personal stuff and you're journeying through life and you know, it needs to be a group you're comfortable with. And sometimes you're just not comfortable around a certain person. And that maybe is or isn't good or bad. That's just kind of how it is. And that's just kind of the messiness, which leads me to one thing I wanted to hear you talk about. So I've heard some churches do open small groups and some do close, meaning like there's a group and it's not really accepting new members or this group is open and they're always more people are always welcome. And that's another kind of messy thing where you want to balance the, you know, the, the holiness of like this, this group that's intact but you also never want to be the kind of church that doesn't welcome newcomers. So how, how do you balance that open versus closed groups? Yeah, and this is really tough. Cause I think if you and I were to like sample all the small group ministers out there, like we would get great arguments, uh, compelling evidence on both sides. Um, and I think it might just, I, I think uh, so maybe to get right to the answer, I would say a church probably needs to have a mixture mm-hmm. of those things where it's just understood that this group is going to have, People come and go, yeah. and then this this group is not going to. Um, one of the things I think is cool here at Ridgepoint is we have a actual Sunday school that they call like the not Sunday school, where they have a new person come in and share their story or answer questions or give a short lesson, and it's just understood that it doesn't function the same way that other small groups or Sunday schools. And I got to visit that, you know, at the time of this recording, I got to visit that like three weeks ago. And it was like electric. It was so fun. And I'm like, how is this group like this when there seems to be no form or structure to this? And I think it's because the leaders of that Sunday school or the not Sunday school, are they just they, they have such a graciousness about them uh, mm-hmm. and it helps set the table to all. So I would say like the problem with closed groups is how do you assimilate or how do you help add new people to your small group ministry if no group is open? Right. But, the, but the benefit of it is that these people can know that I can open up to these people and they'll be committed to me. Um, mm-hmm. But what's, what's the, you know, the strength of an open group is you can assimilate or you can you know, bring new people into it and they can find group life. What's the hardship of it? Um, I think the hardship is this. And I think it's kind of, it's something that's sneaky in its hardship. Because I think in the, like, the general preaching to Christians is we need to be open and kind to all people. So we try to be. And so when a new person comes to our group and they think, man, Matt is a stellar guy. Like he drinks Mountain Dew all the time. He knows <laughs> all the trivia about all the Marvel superhero movies. And he seems really cool. I've like looked at his Twitter feed and he seems to be hipping with it culturally. Um, and he, he and talks the hammer to- drops. Yeah, that's right. And like he talked to me at our last small group. I think that Matt and I are going to be friends before too long. And Mm -hmm. so that person approaches you and like, hey, can we have lunch? And you're like, okay, how about like five weeks from now? Well, that doesn't seem like a friendship, but, you know, in the back, you know, in the back of Matt's life, he's got 
I love the way someone from Mariner's Church in California explained it this way, like a Lego piece. And there's only so many spots to put new pieces. So, you know, you've got your married life, your work life, your kids, your dad, you've got interests. And so you've got like maybe one or two of those little dots open. Mm -hmm. And it's not like this person doesn't, you know, rise to the status of being included, but you, you feel like up to your neck in social commitments already. And so I just think sometimes we give people a false impression that they're going to find um, true companionship and friendship in open groups because simply because we're trying to be kind to them uh, yeah. because we'd like to be. Mm-hmm. So I feel I, it's not a bait and switch. Like I'm not feeling like we're being dishonest. I'm just thinking it just sets up a really ugly encounter down the road that we can't avoid uh, because we want to be kind and we do want them to establish friendship, but it may not be with us only right. because right. What, what do I get rid of? I, I can't, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to continue hanging out with my kids. Right. So what are we going to do there? And so I think that that's probably some of the hardships of the open versus closed group uh, dynamic that happens in group life. Yeah, that's good. One kind of model I've heard about, which I, again, in, in, in theory, it sounds really like a good idea. I don't know how it actually worked practically, but the idea of, you have a group that you kind of gradually, it's, I guess it'd be a quote unquote, a closed group, but you might drag in a person here or there every once in a while until eventually you kind of reach this capacity where then the group splits in half. I, have you ever seen that? Does that ever work again? In my, in my mind, it sounds like that might be a kind of a, a hybrid that might work well, but I can't imagine it'd be hard to split a group. I imagine. Have you ever seen that work? Yeah. I mean, so I think people get really weird at, weary about splitting. I think it's hard. And um, people say it's like, you know, like you're setting up a divorce and I mean, that might be harsh language, but I mean, people miss each other Mm -hmm. and like a, like a new history has to start whenever a group divides. I, once again, I think it's the the culture and the vision of the church. I mean, I had a professor in seminary who he had a, what they call a cell church model and cells grow because they split and that's just that is their intention and so but what they did there i thought it was kind of cool like they of course preached the sermon and then a, a group lesson was built from the sermon and everybody did it so the pastor led the staff and then the staff led a group and so it created like this pyramid type of uh environment but like you you knew that if you were in a cell group mm-hmm you were a part of something bigger than just what your group was doing. And in fact, like they went all the way with this thing to where a person could not become a member of the church unless they were in a cell group. Mm -hmm. And when they became a member, their cell group leader introduced them to the church and not like the senior pastor. Like they, so they really baked it in Like they, they are a one hit wonder. It's all cell groups. Mm -hmm. And, And so I think if that is like, if that's the culture, then it makes sense. I think when you spring that on people, like, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna divide this group whenever it reaches a critical point of twenty people," people are like, "Well, I'm gonna go ahead and leave this group just to kind of get it over with," you know, because that didn't sound like a good idea at all. So I just think that um, it has to it has to fit uh, with the vibe of the church mm-hmm. in my mind. And if it does, then it makes sense, and it's an easy story to tell, and the expectation is there. Like you're not springing something on people. Yeah. I like that. The expectation is huge. Yeah. Let's get into a couple more kind of nitty gritty nuts and bolts. So again, yeah. I've, I've been a part of a group for a long time. Again, I'm sure you've seen a bunch of different ways that people do it. So I've, there are some groups who study the Bible. There's some that go through like a, like a, a book, like a nonfiction book, a Christian nonfiction book of some kind. Maybe they do a video series. 
maybe they just get together and hang out and talk. There's kind of a, once you have your group, there's kind of a bunch of different things you can do during your, your meeting. So what do you, what do you think is a good, is it a mix? Do you like keeping things scriptural? What do, what do you recommend? Yeah, I think a mix is good. I'm, um, I think one of the most viable things that someone wrote for the church was the streams in the desert. Uh, I think it was Foster or someone in the Renovare stream who said, I mean, there's like from the very beginning of our movement, the Christian movement, there's been all these different pathways to encountering God, which is why we do this to begin with. Right. And so, and some people like it, they are scholastic. They are, they have the life of the mind is the way they worship too. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I think at times that take, that's like the heavy of group life is it's kind of geared towards the academic um, mind, but there's other pathways to God. So I think the keen small group leader is one who says, okay, let's get a balance of life of the mind, life of the heart, life of the hands. And so what I've seen churches do is instead of like make those decisions with study and content, they bake it into their habits. So what they do is they study, like, let's say they meet four times a month, once a week, they'll study two of those weeks. They'll do like a hangout, eat something, go to the new barbecue joint, um, kind of in the middle of all of our houses mm-hmm. where we're at in the city, that for one week. And then one week of the month, if they can, like try to find a way to serve. Now that could be actually doing a service project that might be a little bit bigger ordeal to plan, or it could be, Hey, like the church is collecting book bags for back to school. Mm-hmm. So we're going to buy stuff. We're going to pack it together and hang out. Uh, we'll count it as a group time, but we're also serving together. And there, there's bonding that happens there. And so I think if you bake in habits, mm-hmm. it tends to help address all those pathways, yeah. sacred pathways or whatever. And, and then like the study content, you can sprinkle it on top of that and people won't feel like they're out of place. Cause I think all of us know, like you've been in a group, like you, there's a good chance half those people have like barely read the chapter or they read it like, you know, like with uh, at the zero hour, right. hour, you know, like the, right before so they could like have something to say during discussion, mm-hmm. which that's okay. Like, uh, you know, what are you going to do? Yell and scream at those people. It's not going to help. Right. And so you just try to make the most of it. But I think that it's just good maybe to work on the habit structure than like trying to figure out like a balanced study structure yeah. um, over a given year. So yeah. Yeah. that's good. So talking about like the study part, how much oversight do you think the church should have in those kinds of decisions? Like can a group do literally whatever they want or should the church have some insight of like, uh, you know, I, I see you're doing that book. That guy's a little sketch. Not sure you should be following with that guy's teaching. Like how much should churches should they even keep track of that? Or is it just totally up to them individual group leaders? What do you think about that? That's a great question. So, I mean, on the one hand, you want to empower group leaders to make their group their own uh, and not have them like think be so codependent on somebody on staff for that. But at the same time, we do, we do have a call to, you know, guard orthodoxy. Um, So I just think that that probably matches once again, the culture of the church. Um, If you've got a senior pastor who is, uh, in particular, like who is, you know, a scholastic Christian, they, they're into the academic weeds of the faith. Um, maybe they want to drive that a bit more, uh, maybe something closer to the sermon series. What I, what I kind of like doing is 
doing a balanced approach. So I, you know, the, the high times of the average suburban church, uh, yeah, I know all churches, not suburban churches, but uh, a lot of churches are in our world. So I feel like uh, the audience is most captive. Uh, you have a captive audience in the fall and in the spring. So like mm-hmm. school's back in session before holiday and then after holiday before the month of May. Right. And yeah. so I, I think if you could do a sermon series in those two windows and there's a good study that can dovetail with it, I think that's great. Say, hey, go to group leaders and say, hey, we don't do this very often. We do it twice a year. Mm-hmm. Would you be willing to like, you know, th- this is a vetted uh, source. I'll take you off the hook from that. Pick something for a month or, you know, six weeks. We, we want to see the most majority of the church do this if they can. And so I think that's kind of a fun way just to sprinkle in some sort of uniform thing, but then allow uh, group leaders the freedom to do what they'd like. Um, yeah, good. I like that. Yeah. Here, yeah. Here at Ridgepoint, we've got a faith and life team that if any... Uh, series of teachings, if it kind of catches their attention, like that's a kind of in their purview to investigate it and to, well, investigate is a harsh word, but to evaluate it and just to pray about it and say, okay, we might want to challenge our groups to steer away from this. I don't think that happens a lot in churches like ours. Um, you know, I, I kind of go back to, well, there's that neat little line in first John where John says like the spirit teaches us. And I think even the most newest Christians, I think that they get, there's like something that happens where they say, Hey, this is not, I don't know how, but this is not scanning. Hmm. Uh, I've got questions about this. And then I ask their questions. And so I, I trust the work of the spirit too, to, you know, in some of those and some, in regard to some of these things that happen in group life. And and I think a lot of times the community will take care of it. So there's not like a heavy handed approach uh, from the staff um, from the top. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I think a lot of times good discussion comes when you have those things that are a little dicey. You know, if, if you're having a, if all your discussions are just smooth and easy, you don't get into the deep stuff. But if you've got something where there are some differing opinions, you know, I don't, you shouldn't do that on purpose, maybe. I don't know. But some of that stuff actually prompts some good discussion. So it does. Yeah, man. It, and it, it opens your eyes to what really people are thinking and what people are reading. I remember one time um, I was with a group at a previous church and it was time for them to pick a new study. And this, this gal, she seemed to be one of like the junior leaders, like someone uh-huh. who is not like calling everybody together, but she shared a lot. She says, well, I only, I only read, I've only read two books recently and one's crazy love by Francis Chan. And the other is like 50 shades of gray. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so like, but how would you know, like that that's the only thing she's taking in unless right. like, you know, people are, are willing to have the openness to share. And then you can say, okay, like this seems to be something that we could, you know, talk about further, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> it was wild. So I was like, wow, this is what happens on the frontier, I guess. Yeah. All right. Well, don't get those books messed up. Bring the wrong. <laughs> That'd be a little embarrassing. <laughs> Did you hear, did you hear that there was a pastor who uh, said he did a sermon series on 50 shades of grace? Oh, of course they did. (laughs) Of course they did. (laughs) Oh, anyways. Anyways. All right. right. We're we're running out of time already. I want to hit you with two more. So one more legit small group question. And then I got to hit up. We got to end with a fun sports question. Okay. So brace yourself. the The last small group question, unless you've got anything else to add. I want to hear your, your thoughts on age. Like, is it good for these groups to be the same age? Do you like the multi-generational approach? 
Is there some way that we can do both? How, what do you think about that for, for small groups? And I've been around long enough now to see, to have been in churches where like, it's been like a heavy program by age life stage thing. Mm -hmm. And then like, there's been, the buzz has been um, to include like a multi-generational thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there's probably gotta be a blend of it all. I, you know, right now, I think one of the neat things, at Ridgepoint, and that's still pretty new, but to st- but to see like our young marrieds, young adult ministry taking off has been really great. And I, and I think that it would, I think that those people would be engaged if we had more of a multi-generational mm-hmm. format too. But I think it's, I think there are certain life stages where at least a piece of your church experience might need to be age related. Mm-hmm. But I do think that there's a great exchange in the multi-generational thing. I mean, my, one of my key things about discipleship, what I've seen is that there's like three main phases of like a lifelong discipleship journey. And the last piece of the last third is like what I guess I call legacy where we learn to give away, mm-hmm. give away our responsibility uh, to give away our authority and to give away even having the last word in a conversation or on a leadership team and allow somebody younger than us. Right. And so if you don't have intergenerational, you don't have the mentor mentee relationship thing going on. So I think everyone misses out. And so I think a a good blend of, of those things would probably be good. Mm -hmm. Um, I think maybe the multi-generational thing works best in a a men's and women's ministry environments where there's like, there's just a more of a natural, uh, I want to learn from a guy older than me. I, I want to learn from a gal older than me. And mm-hmm. uh, on the other end of that, people are like, well, I want to invest in a young mom or I want to invest in a, a new dad uh, to tell the things that I did not know I, that I've learned along the way that I wish I would have known yeah. earlier in the journey. So I think that the ministry teams just need to kind of make a decision about how they pick and choose. When is it age related thing? Good. And then when's a multi-generation thing? Good. Yeah. So if I'm hearing you right, maybe small groups are age-related, but then you find another way to do some kind of multi-generational mentoring, yeah. or some kind of programming where you can do a little bit yeah. of both. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Good. Yeah. All right, dude, we could keep going for hours and hours and hours. Anything else on small groups you want to hit on? What else didn't we hit that you want to talk about? No, I think it's good. I think that um, one of the things that we're seeing, I think it's been critical, is like the missional piece to groups. Um, I mean, every Christian's a missional Christian. We, we just preached about it recently at the time of this recording about how God sent Jesus and Jesus sends us. Like we have a missional God and we have a missional life. And so I think sometimes groups can be really introverted and only care for the needs. And they like bank on that was a Galatians six ten, where it says like, you know, make, you know, be good to all people and, you know, which is missional. But then they say, well, especially to the people of God. And that's true. But I mean, I think that if I was a small group leader, I would want to be examining pretty frequently. Are we, is a missional heart being groomed in this environment? If it's not, then we got to do some stuff uh, to make that happen. So there's some great materials out there. There's a book by um, an Aussie named Michael Frost called Surprise World, which is an easy way for a group to start to be missional. There's also one called The Tangible Kingdom by Hugh Halter and Matt Smay that could take like just an already established small group take them through a curriculum 
how to engage the neighbors and how to be on mission together as a small group of Christians. So I just would encourage small groups to consider that if that's not something that's, you know, organically happening yeah. in our group life experience. So I just would end at that because that that's where I feel like the small group experience has really taken off in my own life personally is when we uh, challenge each other to be on mission together. Yeah, that's good. I like it. Yes. Okay. Sports question, man. Hit yeah, me with it. Wrap up. I feel like, you know, a lot of people listening don't know you. We've been too serious for too long. You're, you're a fun, <laughs> fun, hip cultural guy. So, okay. This, this might change by the time this episode comes out, but last night the news broke. I got to get your thoughts. Westbrook's going to LA. Yes. He's going to the Lakers to play with LeBron. I know you're a sports guy. I know. You, yeah. All right, let's, let's wrap it up. What do you think about Westbrook going to the Lakers, man? I think it's going to be interesting. So I, um, so my kids are 12 and nine. And so they, and they know a lot of pro players. We talk about them. Um, we call Russ the angry guy. Cause he's always angry. Like he, I mean, yeah. he's attacking the rim. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how it all fits together. The Lakers have needed somebody. Uh, obviously they didn't have somebody like him. And I mean, he's an LA kid, so he's going home. Maybe he finishes his career there. Um, I like LeBron. I've always liked LeBron. And so it's going to be interesting to see how LeBron makes all that work because I feel like they have similar styles. I think Mm -hmm. LeBron's a better shooter. Obviously, LeBron does different things. But how are they going to share the ball? I mean, that's every, every, like, I don't know, big three team has to figure that out, right? Um, And so I'm already entertained, just like dreaming up how are they going to make all that work? I, I, they could be favorites in the West. I mean, there's still some, so many good teams, but uh, I'm excited to see how they make it all work. I think it'll be a fun season for the Lakers. Nice. All right. Well, we probably just lost half our listeners, but we'll do the <laughs> USMB sports pod after dark. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Sounds good, man. Joe, you're the man. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. I love what you're doing here at Ridgepoint. Thanks for um, all the experience you bring and for, Joining the USMB family. I hope we can talk again because I know we could go into a bunch of different topics. So, man, it's been fun. Thanks for having me on. And um, yeah, I mean, let's do this again sometime. I'd be all for it. All right. Awesome. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate it, man. Thanks. What can community look like for followers of Jesus in a post COVID reality? Join author and church planter Ben Connolly for a free two part webinar series about discipleship and community, sponsored by USMB. Two one-hour seminars will be held via Zoom on Tuesday, September 14th and Tuesday, September 28th of 2021 at 10.30 a.m. Central Daylight Time. The series will be based on Ben's new book, A Field Guide for Genuine Community. Register by August 18th to be entered in a drawing to win one of three free copies of Ben's book. For more information or to register, visit www.usmb.org backslash events. All right. Well, not only was that our first time to talk about small groups, but that was also your first hot take on LeBron James. So there's always a first for everything here on the USMB Lead Pods. Uh, but hey, again, I want to give my thanks to Joe. I loved our conversation today and he had a lot of great things to say for small groups. And so I hope there was something that you were able to take away, whether you're a ministry leader or maybe you are a attending a life group or a small group, maybe you lead one. Um, I thought there was a lot of really good stuff that we can all think about there. So again, many thanks to my friend Joe for joining us. And once again, thank you to you for listening today, wherever you are. Always grateful for you and for any new listeners we have. Thanks for tuning in. As always, we'd love for you to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Throw us a review or rating wherever you're listening today to help spread the word. We would really appreciate that. 
And with that, I hope you have a great rest of your week, and we'll see you again next time for another episode of The Lead Pods. Thanks for listening to Lead Pods. Make sure you don't miss an episode by subscribing to our show wherever you're listening today. Learn more by visiting usmb.org. And be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We'll see you next time as we learn more practical tools to increase our impact together.